0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be with you again here at uh, Silicon Valley Reformed Baptist Church. It's a pleasure to spend time with you and your families again, and I appreciate it once again, uh, the hospitality of the saints here, and the saints from Sturgeon Bay greet you and send their greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 2, the New Testament epistle. Written by Paul, the book of Colossians, the second chapter. Starting in verse 1, and we'll be examining verses 1 through 10 this morning. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head and rule of all authority. Father God, I ask that You to bless the preaching of Your Word this morning. They would go forth in power and authority, and it would not return to void, but indeed, Lord, that it would fulfill all that you desire for it to accomplish. In the hearing and the preaching of your word, may the saints receive that which you have placed before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I want you to know this morning that life can and will be a struggle. When I look at this writing from Paul in Colossians 2. I noticed that Paul was a man whose life was marked by many struggles, many intense struggles. This is a man who grew up in Judaism, who ended up uh, devoting his life to his religion. And so zealous did he become for his religion, that when this new group started to arise within his own uh, faith, this sect that was called Christianity as they began to see this rise of of this Messiah, this, this Jesus, Paul became so zealous for his faith that he decided he was going to use his life to persecute the Christians. To persecute God's people. Little did he know, as they were laying coats at his feet for the martyrdom of Stephen, that he would have his own encounter with the risen Lord of history, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the, mo- on the road to Damascus, he encounters the living Jesus. And it changed his life. And as a result of this, his life didn't become any easier. Instead, it became far more difficult. His life was marked with difficulty and struggles and highs and lows. This is a man who would become shipwrecked. A man who would suffer uh, almost being murdered outside the city gates and walls. This is a man who would now spend his life in pursuit of Christ and his kingdom. And him writing to the church in Colossae says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The struggle is a struggle that he says I have for you and for all those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. The Apostle Paul relays his great struggle for the church desiring that their hearts would receive something. In verse 2 it says, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul relays again his great struggle for the church desiring that their hearts would be encouraged. Maybe some of you today are in need of some encouragement. I don't know what you've gone through or what you're encountering in your life, but be, be, be assured of this. God knows your struggles. God even cares for your struggles. And it intimately wants to be involved in the struggles of your life so that you may be encouraged and knit together by love. And this is not a just purposeless, euphoric love that God wants you to experience, but it's on to a greater purpose. His love, His encouragement, His knitting together that He wants for you is in order that you may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You see, God desires for you this morning not simply to cease your struggles. That's not what He's asking of us, but rather that in your struggles, it would lead you to a place of encouragement. Being knit together by love. Receiving the fullness of the measure and assurance and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Maybe some of you like to read mystery books. Uh, I don't like to read mystery books. I like to watch maybe mystery movies or documentaries about unsolved mysteries. Those things always seem to captivate me. And yet, God is revealing to us a mystery. That is in the Greek, a sacred secret. A secret that is a, uh, held uh, by the prophets and the apostles. And it was a secret beginning from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell into sin. The Bible says that God would send forth a savior. He says in Genesis chapter three verse 15, that there would be a seed, there would be promise, who would crush the head of the serpent, that serpent being Satan the devil, our enemy. And this secret was held uh, throughout the ages and revealed, and, and also uh, glimpses of its glory was manifested onto the prophets, onto the Israelites, onto the patriarchs. And finally we have. In the New Testament writings, the revelation of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, life can and is a struggle. And our Christian ministry can be a struggle as Paul relays. Yet our struggle is not meaningless nor without purpose. Rather, it is in our struggles that we find the encouragement based upon love, the love of God, so that we may be empowered to withstand all the difficulties and stresses of this life. Paul, again, was a man who was marked with many difficulties, yet he never looked back. Never did he look back to his former life and say, man, I I wish I could go back to those old times when I had not not a care in the world, but instead he looked forward, steadfast, unshakable, unmovable in the work of the Lord. He says again in Colossians chapter 2, Reading again verse 2 is that their hearts may be encouraged. There's an encouragement waiting for you and for me in God's Word. What is this encouragement? This encouragement is being knit together in love to reach the full riches of assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery. Again, there's a mystery at play here. God's love, however, is not just a euphoric emotion, but it is intended to help us reach the riches of, a full assurance. That kind of assurance is the assurance that we have in Christ which we believe is eternal security. Here's the good news I want to share with you today, saints. If you are in Christ this morning, you are in the safest place possible to be. There is nowhere better to be than in the arms and the hands of our capable Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So regardless of your circumstances, Jesus holds you in your circumstances and you will be unshakable and unmovable there because the One who holds you is greater than all things. The Lord Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10 that My sheep hear My voice and they listen to Me. And no one can pluck them out of His hands. Safe and security do we experience in the hands of our merciful, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. So regardless of your struggle, the one who holds you is greater and bigger than your struggles. So rest assured that you are in a safe and secure location in the hands of Jesus Christ who is God's mystery. And yet it also tells us that there is a full assurance, this eternal security of understanding and knowledge that is in Christ, in God's mystery. Why is Jesus the mystery of God? Well, because Jesus Christ is the One whom all the prophets and all the Scripture points to. If you were to sum up, sum up the Bible, the Bible could be summed up in this. It is the story of God's redemption in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. Amen? It's all about Him. And because of that truth, some of the, most of the Old Testament prophets as they prophesied about Jesus, they were looking at things through a hazy metal mirror they couldn't see in full. And yet, at the proper time, and at the right time, God sends forth His Son into human history, born of the virgin, to live the life that you and I could not live. The Bible says that He was perfect. He was holy. He was sinless. The Bible also says that He died the death that we all deserved. As sinful sons and daughters of Adam, we are all rightfully deserving of the wrath of God. And yet, by God's infinite wisdom, His love for humanity, and for the outpouring of His purpose upon the cosmos, He sent forth His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. A sin offering. An atoning sacrifice. So that those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the mystery that God has brought to light in the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of His people, that Jesus Christ is indeed God come into human flesh, the one of whom the prophet said, Unto us a child shall be born, and the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace." And to the increase of His government, there shall be no end. This mystery has been revealed and manifested unto us through the pages of the New Testament that this Jesus who was the Word who was in the beginning did come and was manifested unto us. This Word that was in the beginning who was with God and was God has now come into that which was His own and yet His own did not receive Him. And because of that, He now gives the right to those who put their faith and trust in Him to become the children of God. What a wonderful mystery that has been unraveled that we are now beneficiaries of through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In Him, verse 3 of Colossians 2, in whom, this is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, brothers and sisters, are hidden, that is concealed, and only to be understood through. All the treasures and the wisdom and the knowledge of God are in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a great treasure to behold. He is the greatest treasure that there is because all the wisdom All the knowledge, all the answers to your problems, every question you've ever asked, every thirst and quench for knowledge that you've ever desired, is to be found in Jesus. You see, the Bible says of Christ, that in Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether things visible or invisible. And He is the One who is above all rulership and authority. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together and consist. I want you to know today of the grandeur and the greatness and the awesomeness of Jesus. That He is the One who made you, who fashioned you. He knows your inner heart. He knows the answers to your questions. and He knows your future. Not only does He know it, but He holds it. He holds it in His capable and sovereign hands. As a result of this, this is to whom we are to pursue all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4 and 5, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You see, what God's word is communicating to us is that the Lord, the God of heaven, in his infinite wisdom and plan, ordained and chose the eternal word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the concealer and the administrator of the triune God's purpose, will, wisdom, and knowledge. You see, Jesus Christ is indeed the treasure of the ages. Jesus Christ is the One in Whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are concealed in. If you have a thirst for wisdom, a thirst for knowledge, there is no greater pursuit to fulfill that desire than in Christ Jesus. Now I get it, we live in a really smart place. I mean, most of you guys have more knowledge than I could even imagine. You have software engineers, you've got engineers, you've got educators, you've got people from all spectrums of life and education and backgrounds. And yet, there's no wonder why some of the most brilliant men to have ever lived and the most brilliant women to have ever lived, even they at times struggle with what seems to be the futility of this knowledge. What's the purpose of knowing all these great things, making all this money in Silicon Valley, uh, having all this prestigious uh, degrees? What is the purpose, and yet not being able to answer the very basic questions of humanity, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Who am I? Who made me? What is my purpose? What is my reason? You see, Google cannot answer that question. You can ask the question on the Google search bar, And it will give you lots of different websites. It will give you lots of different options. But with no level of certainty can it answer the deepest questions of the longing of the human heart. But you know who can? The Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ stands ready and willing to answer and to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul and of your heart because in Him is hidden, concealed, all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Jesus Christ is indeed worth pursuing because in Him is all the treasure that you seek and He Himself is the treasure that we need. Jesus Christ is in Himself sufficient. Jesus Christ in Himself is worthy Because He is the one to whom God has entrusted the administration of His will, of His wisdom and knowledge, all in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is your treasure, you will find all your desires and your answers in Him. Therefore, do not forsake the full treasure that He offers that you will find to Him, and the desires and the answers that are in him. Did not forsake the full assurance of this treasure for plausible arguments? For that which could be, which may be, but is not for sure, that is not assured to us. Notice again what Paul says in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You know, there's a lot of plausible arguments out there about the answers to the questions that you so desperately seek. There's a lot of possibilities. It's not plausible. There could be, you know, there are companies here in Silicon Valley who are actively spending millions of dollars trying to unlock the key of immortality. And yet, here it is, free of charge for you and me. The key to immortality is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all in Jesus, hidden in Him. They won't find that. You know, it reminds me also of the stories of when the uh, Spanish conquistadors were exploring the new world and they heard of this mysterious fountain of youth and of life. And so they so desperately spent you know, lots of gold and money and resources and lives and men to seek after that treasure, yet they were not able to find it because they were not finding it in Christ. Only in Jesus will you find the answers that you seek. Christ is indeed the answer to all of these questions and, and our desires. And yet it says, don't be deluded with plausible arguments. Let me give you an example of what a plausible argument may sound like in the 21st century. Well, a plausible argument is, well, we, you don't really need God. You don't need God because we have theories that account for creation, that account for the human processes like evolution, We've got the Big Bang, and and that accounts for for creation. So we really don't, don't need God anymore. God is, is kind of an old fashioned, antique idea, and, and, and you don't need to pursue that anymore. We've got science now. You know what the word science. You know what the root word of science is? Anyone know? It's knowledge. It's knowledge to know. It's knowledge. You know that all the fullness of knowledge is in Christ. The reason why all things are held together and consist is because of Christ. Now, of course, we believe that he uses natural order and law to uh, keep things together, so things such as gravity. Yet, you know, what's interesting is that all the original founders of, for instance, even uh, the theories of gravity, these are all, these all came from Christians. These all came from believers. You know, even the Big Bang, that came from a uh, Catholic astrologer Someone who clearly believed in the creation of God. A matter of fact, when he discovered that the universe was actually expanding, and that means that if, it, if it's expanding, that means that there had to come a point in time which actually came to be, so the universe, uh, e- uh, although Einstein would have loved for it to be a static, eternal universe, the evidence was mounting that it was not. And as they discovered that the universe is actually expanding, which is kind of what the Bible says, that the, that the Lord is stretching out the heavens like a curtain, And as the the Bible says that God brought and spoke all things into existence, He's the original creator, and He is the origin of all things. And so, yeah, if the world wants to say, well, we have a big bang, well, I have the one who made the big bang, and His name is Christ. He spoke all things into being, and He holds all things according to His powerful might. Don't allow anyone to delude you with plausible arguments, which actually lack the depth and riches of Christ. It also says in verse 5, for though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You see, again, man's wisdom dwells in that which is plausible God's wisdom rests on the full assurance of Christ and here I see in verse 5 every pastor's dream and that is this to see you rejoicing and receiving the good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ I believe firmly that your pastors here and this church desire greatly to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ increase and abound ever more, And that is every pastor's heart and desire for the people that they serve is to see them continue to grow in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let me tell you something. This area of the country, this place in which God has planted you in, it requires much faith on your behalf to live here to breathe here, to do life here, to do ministry here. It will require much firmness of faith. And so brothers and sisters, though you may have great struggles, though you may have lots of questions, though you may even struggle with some doubts, I want you to know this, that in Christ lays all the treasures that you can possibly need and we want to see your faith Continue to grow and be firm in Christ so that you may be able to withstand all the plausible arguments, all the new age, all the new things that they're coming up with that will be raised against the knowledge of Christ that you may have the power to take it captive onto the obedience of Christ. So continue, dear brothers and sisters, pursuing the firmness of your faith in Christ verse 6 of colossians chapter 2. The apostle Paul writes these words, "Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." Christians are those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the ones who are commanded to walk in Him, being rooted in Him like a firm tree and established in the strong foundation of the faith abounding in thanksgiving. I want you to know this. The most important phrase of your Christian life and of the history of the cosmos will be and is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is central to all Christian thought, life, morality, and theology. No one, and I mean no one, can make Jesus Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord unto the glory of God the Father. Amen? No one makes Him Lord. Instead, there are those who receive Him as Lord. That is to say, who recognize His Lordship, His sovereignty, His might and power, and His right to rule over our lives. It is something to be acknowledged, to be received. And that, is something, that is not something that we make. You know, There are a lot of preachers that are out, out there that say, well, you've got to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You've got to make Him Lord so He can come inside your heart. And, and yes, we, we want Jesus inside your heart. We certainly want that. But you don't accomplish that by making Him Lord. He is Lord unto the glory of God the Father. He's Lord whether you recognize it or not. He's Lord whether you receive it or not. He's Lord whether you have received it. He is Lord regardless of your circumstances. He's Lord regardless of your struggles. He's Lord in every high and every low, in every mountain top and in every valley, in every depth and in every part of creation. Jesus Christ is Lord. And He is Lord over your life, over your circumstances, over your pain, your sorrow, your rejoicing, your happiness. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the foundational statement of Scripture and of human history. one day, and, and hopefully that day will come soon, all of creation will stand before the risen Lord of history and acknowledge Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will one day soon be in endless praise and endless worship, serving the Master and the Lord who has saved us from our sins. And so, brothers and sisters, just as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. This great Jesus that I just uh, presented to you, This Jesus who rules and reigns over the nations. This Jesus who reigns over creation is calling you to walk in Him. Walk in Him. Now walking in Jesus isn't simply to say, well, I'll walk with Him when it's convenient. I'll walk with Him when I want to. I'll walk with Him when I can. No, brothers and sisters, this is a walking with Him in every aspect and in every moment of life that you are to live your life under humble submission and humble adoration of the one whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. This Jesus is so marvelously worthy of walking with and in. Verse 7 tells us why. So that we may be rooted and built up in him. This idea of being rooted is like a tree. A tree that is firmly rooted into the ground, receiving the nourishment of the rich soil and the water that comes by the washing of the Word of God. We want to have our roots deeply within the good soil of Jesus Christ. Receiving the nourishment of the washing of His Word so that when the storms of life come and rage against us, we are not like the tree that bends and, and breaks over, but instead that we will be firmly established in Him. Because as Christians, we recognize this truth. It's not about if the storms of life come. It's when they come, because they will come. And Jesus Christ stands ready and willing to stand with you in the midst of that storm as the sure anchor for our souls, as one who holds us together in times of great difficulty and also in times of triumph. Jesus Christ is indeed ready to hold you if you are rooted, built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. You see, the, reali- the centrality of Christ's Lordship beckons us to walk in Him. You see, a lot of people want God to walk with them when the reality is God wants you to walk with Him. Everyone wants God on their side. Everybody wants God to walk with them. But few are the ones who are actually walking with Him. You see, walking with Him means that we follow Him. We are obedient to His words. We are growing holiness and stature, abounding in thanksgiving and love. But so many people want the easy way out. They want God to serve them, not to serve God. And that is where the great division lies between those who are truly called and are Christians and are born again and those who simply want a a little bit of religion, a little bit of God, a little bit of superstition. If you notice things like on Facebook, I, I have a pet peeve. Anytime someone posts this like on Facebook or like a repost it says, post this if you, if, you, if you want God to bless you. And of course, you'll see all the pagans reposting it because it's what pagans do. They like... Tradition, or they like to uh, feel like they have a little charm in order for them to receive God's blessing, but rather God's blessing is not in a repost on Facebook, but rather it's in knowing Jesus Christ. And when you know Him, you will walk in Him, be rooted in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. I want you to find yourself today rooted in Him, Finding your inner being being deep underneath this, the, 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 the soil of God's Word. Be established on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ who is the rock of ages. Our firm foundation for every other foundation is sinking sand. Now here's a question I think that we all need to ask ourselves. How can I walk with Christ. I don't want to just spew the, the, this, these, this rich teaching and theology at you without giving something that you can hold on to and, and, and grasp and also apply in your life. So I'm going to give you three things that you can do right, starting today to walk with Christ. First and foremost, you have to read and study the Word of God. If you're not a Christian today, you need to read and study the Word of God for this purpose because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. God's Word is so powerful that it can save you from your sins by bringing you a knowledge of your sins and a knowledge of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, on, in a couple days from now, I'll be celebrating uh, uh, 12 years of being a Christian. 12 years of knowing Christ and walking with Him. And what I remember so greatly on that evening when I received the Lord Jesus Christ is I had no preacher next to me. I had no church nearby. It was just me in my bedroom reading the Word of God because God's Word is sufficient. God's Word is mighty and it's powerful. And so I want you to find yourself walking with Christ by reading God's Word daily. This book here is not cake for special occasions. This is bread for daily consumption. If you're not regularly in the Word of God and you're a Christian, you know what you're going to find yourself in? You're going to find yourself in a very weak state. Because if you do not eat, you know, you'll start to get... Uh, Irritable, you'll start to get uh, frustrated easily. You'll you'll get uh, uh, headaches and migraines, and and, and you get all these symptoms of weaknesses in your life. The same is true spiritually, brothers and sisters. If we're not feasting on God's word daily, then we are lacking in our fight against the world, the enemy, and our own flesh. Therefore, feast on God's Word. Read it. Study the Word of God so that you may find yourself a worksman that is approved. This requires dedication, this requires your time, your resources. Be dedicated unto God by reading and studying His most precious Word. Number two, do not forsake the Christian gathering, don't forsake the fellowship of God's people, the saints that happens every time we gather on the Lord's Day. Happens throughout the week as you meet together in your small groups. Happens in our prayer meetings. Do not forsake Christian gatherings. Also, it can be something as simple as spending time with the brothers and sisters. Just last night, some of the brothers and I went out for dinner and got to fellowship and talk about God's Word and ministry. Don't forsake those opportunities to be with God's people. Find yourself Receiving the affirmation that God gives through his saints and through the preaching and teaching of God's word through the church. And so receive good instruction, not forsaking the Christian gathering, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, so many have already made the habit of doing so. One of the terrible things about this pandemic is that it has given many people an excuse to not come in person to church. They say, well, it's not safe. Brothers and sisters, we just established the safest place you can be is in Christ. The safest place you can be is in Christ. And the safest people with whom you may be with are those who love Christ. And so do not forsake the gathering. Even in times of great trials and difficulty, even during a pandemic, do not forsake the Christian gathering. That is where we receive our affirmation and teaching so that we may live boldly for Christ in this wicked world. The third thing I want to point out to you is to do God's kingdom work of making disciples. So if you want to walk with Christ, if you want to see what it means to be a Christian, it means not simply being a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. That means that when we come together, we are on mission, living holy and righteously Confronting sin. Growing in fullness and stature and also being obedient to the mission that God has called us all in which is the great commission work to make disciples of people of all nations which is what we learned earlier today in our Sunday school. God is calling you to partake in this great kingdom work of making disciples. This is where we find the application of our Christianity is in living it out. Loving your neighbor and loving God This is where we see the outflow of our Christianity where it spills over not just on Sunday mornings but into the week where we're living it out. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Be dedicated. Read the Word. Receive the affirmation of God's people and apply your Christianity so that you may walk with Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Back in Colossians chapter 2. We examine verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, be on the guard. Be alert. That you're not taken captive by human tradition or the spirit of the age. Instead, reject the emptiness of this age for the security of knowing and receiving He who has all the fullness in bodily form. Notice what it says in verse 9. For in Him, that is in Christ, is the fullness of deity and dwells bodily. In Christ is the fullness of deity in bodily form. Praise God. Now, brothers and sisters, there are some ideologies and philosophies and even religions that teach that instead of receiving fullness, you should receive emptiness. This is one of the tenets of Buddhism. As you see that they are trying to reach a state that they call nirvana. You know what nirvana means? It means emptiness. Nothingness. The world will desire for you and I to receive a nothingness, an emptiness. When people practice a lot of Eastern meditations and yogas, what they're doing is they're trying to clear their minds so their minds may be empty. Brothers and sisters, what a contrast we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires us not to be empty, but to be full. And to receive the fullness that He offers and gives by, he, by Him being the One who fills all things as the One who is truly the Divine One in bodily form. See, Colossians 2.9 is teaching us something of great importance. The Lord Jesus Christ is the God-Man. He is fully man and fully God. He is not part god and part man. He is not a demi-god of some sorts. Rather, the scripture teaches us that in Christ dwells the fullness. The word fullness in Greek is pleroma. Pleroma literally means that which it's like a think of a of a vessel that you fill with water or or, or wine and it's it's full, overflowing. The fullness Of that which makes God who He is. That's what the word deity means in the Greek. It's the Greek word theodos. The Greek word theodos literally means that which makes God, God. It's the nature of God. The essence of God. That which makes God who He is. The fullness thereof dwells in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is rightfully the God-Man the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the One who created you, who fashioned you, the One who stepped into creation to die on the cross and to, raise, to be raised from the dead so that you may have eternal life. This Jesus is indeed Lord and He is Lord because He is God. He is the Almighty God clothed in human flesh. And not only was He God in human flesh when He came on the earth, but the Bible teaches that on the third day He rose again and He triumphed over death and He was raised bodily. And so Jesus is not in heaven as a disembodied ghost. Instead, He stands forevermore as the God-man, fully man, fully God, Son of Adam and the Son of God. So now all the cosmos... And all of history will be reigned by He, the Incarnate One, the One who is the Son of Adam and also the Son of God. You know, I had a debate with a Unitarian, a well-known Unitarian last year during the pandemic, and it's on YouTube. And the question that we were debating was, is Jesus the God-man? And this text was my main premise. And he says, well, Jesus can't be God because it, it, it just simply says he has the fullness of God, which is, we all have the fullness of God too. Look what verse 10 says. And you have been filled in him who is the head rule, and rule, and the head of all rule and authority. He says, well, you see, Jesus Christ is, is it, it's only in a sense that he has all fullness because he gives us that fullness too. So does that mean you're God in the flesh? And I'll say, you're missing a big point here, my friend. The big point that you're missing. Is that when it says and in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily? Again, the Greek word theotis, meaning the that which makes God who He is, that dwells bodily. There's a restraint to it. Christ is the visible manifestation of God. That's why the Scripture says He is the image of God. Now, the point that He made is that well, we're in the image of God. Yes, yes, notice the difference. We are created in God's image. Jesus is God's image. Amen? He is that perfect image. And so He is truly the only one of whom it could be said that He is the God-man. God in human flesh. Verse 10 again says, And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is God, and faithfully walking in Christ is a bulwark against being led captive by the empty deceit and the philosophies of this world. You know, what a tragedy it would be if we exchange the fullness of Christ's deity that fills all things for the hollow and fleeting things of this world. What a sad thing that would be to exchange the immortal God, He who stands forevermore for the things that are quickly fading away and crumbling even beneath the culture's feet. Jesus Christ is worthy to be followed. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of all things. For the Bible brings out this wonderful imagery in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 where these scrolls are are being held and, and, and heaven begins to weep because there is no one who is found worthy to open its seals. And yet, out of nowhere comes one who is described as the Lamb of God and he is found worthy and as he begins to open its seals heaven begins to sing its song worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is he to be followed why It says because he ransomed a people for god and redeemed people of all nation tribes and languages This is the same Christ that we see Paul proclaiming is the one who is the head of all rule and authority. As a result of this truth, I don't know what your struggles are this morning. Maybe some of you are tired. Maybe some of you are worn out. Maybe your cup is empty. Be assured of this truth. That He who fills all things who is the proper and only sovereign head and ruler of all things, will not fail in filling you if you have received Him by faith. Brothers and sisters, if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, go on walking in Him, being rooted and established in the faith. If you are here this morning and you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a very important thing that you hear this word then. If you've never known or received Christ as Lord, not that you're making Him Lord, but receiving that truth into your life, the Bible tells us what is required of you. The first thing is that you would repent The Bible. Now, I know that the word repent sounds like a a really ugly word. Sometimes if we think of the word repent, maybe we think of a street preacher in San Francisco with a big sign that says repent or burn or turn or burn or something to that degree. And it sounds very judgmental, but can I tell you something? The word repentance is the most wonderful word you can hear because it is not a word of judgment. It is the escape of judgment. If you want to escape from God's wrath and judgment... Repent, which means to turn away from your sin. Turn away from your wicked way and turn to the cross of Jesus Christ where you will find forgiveness, acceptance, love, and a transformation that will give you a new life and a new heart. And the Bible says, if you confess of your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is an assurance for which Christ died to set you and me free. And so I want you to know today, if you have not made that decision to know Jesus Christ, that you would make that decision today simply by turning from sin And receiving, confessing of your mouth. There's two aspects of that in Romans 10.9. Confess of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Now, one is easier than the other. And that would be the confessing part. Anyone can read those words. An actor in Hollywood can read those words and say, Jesus is Lord. But it takes also a confession of the heart. To know that yes, He is the one who was raised from the dead. He is the one who is Lord of history. And so it's not just a confession of the mouth, but it's to receive and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And I promise you, you will have the assurance of salvation and onto eternal life if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And for those of us who have received Him by faith, my word and encouragement to you this morning is this as I leave this pulpit with this benediction, that you may all be encouraged, knit together in love, reaching the riches of full assurance of the knowledge and wisdom of God, namely, He who fills all things, even the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.